Well, good morning. For those that don't know me, my name is Jeff Vanskoy. Uh, Pastor Jason is out on a much-deserved uh, spring break with his family, which, which I don't quite get. Because, you know, when you're homeschool, I guess you get to kind of pick when spring break is. So, but Pastor Jason is out with his family, or apparently <clears throat> over there. Um, but, so I was, I was kind of thinking that there were options. And, and so it, it was, you know, either me or Phil. And since you really don't want to hear me sing, I'm going to preach for you. Now, so uh, for those that don't know me again, my name is Jeff Vanskoy. Uh, my wife, Paula, over here. Uh, we've been coming to UBC for 11 years. And uh, we just love to see what God is doing here. Uh, I currently serve as a deacon. I also serve as a growth group leader. And if you're looking at this face going, I've seen him before, that's because I'm also the moderator for the uh, members meeting. Uh, now, Paula, she is way involved. She leads our fellowship team and also oversees that whole group that ensures that you have coffee when you come into church on Sunday morning. So she's over the Hebrews team as well. <clears throat> We've been married for 32 years. And uh, we have three awesome daughters. We have Felicia, who's our oldest. She's married to Christopher. He's in the Air Force. They live out in D.C. with our grandsons, Jack and Noah. I have a middle daughter, Melissa, who lives near us. She attends UBC with her boyfriend, Michael, and they're over there, too. Um, then uh, we have, apparently I got in trouble because I called her my baby, but she's my baby. Uh, Sabrina, she's our youngest. Uh, she was here at second service. She attends with her husband, Cole. Um, and they live up in Union, but they still come to UBC. Uh, Cole is the son of Dana and Karen Meredith, who are also members of UBC. And Dana is one of our deacons. They actually met at youth, not promoting that or anything, but they met at youth and got married by the youth pastor that was a pastor at that time. They got married during the pandemic. So that is a little bit about my family. Um, now, a little bit about me. Uh, Pastor Jason asked me to share a little bit about my testimony. So my parents were saved about two years before I was born. So because of that, I was raised in the church. We would go to church. We would do church. Um, and then as growing up as a kid, my mom and dad always told me that I was saved. I'm like, okay. So then about age eight, to 10, somewhere there, my dad was called into the ministry. My dad became a pastor in the church. So at age 10, I was baptized. Now I got to tell you, I don't necessarily remember that. So I said to my mom, I said, mom, when did I get saved? Because you were three and you knelt down by your bed and you accepted Christ. I got to tell you, I have no recollection of that. Trust me, we're going to come back. I'm gonna, that, someone's asking this question in your head. We're going to come back to that, right? So I do remember struggling in prayer. Um, when I was about 12 or 13, and really just in deep in prayer, struggling, and, and just started working, God started working in me there. And so going through high school, going through all that, fast forward a little bit, age 17, I joined the Air Force. I spent 30 years in the Air Force, Paula running around with me, and when I got in the Air Force, I met this wonderful, beautiful Paula. So we got married, and we started, you know, doing life. Now, here's the thing. 
we do what I call we played church. You know, we'd sometimes show up, sometimes we want, you know, you're laying there on a Sunday morning, you go, ah, we going to church today or not? Uh, okay, maybe, maybe not. So God was part of our lives, but he was not the center of our lives. So I'm going to fast forward quite a few more years. And God planted us in Arkansas. And when we got to Arkansas, God decided, okay, Jeff, I've let you play these games a little long enough. And he started working in my life and started having circumstances in my life that I would love to share, but we probably don't have time. Except, I learned something, this is third service. And I don't have to get done like in this really quick... No, okay, never mind. <laughs> it's good for all of us that I like my lunch. So anyway, we don't have time to dive into my whole big testimony, but I would love to share. There's some really cool things. But God started working in my life and he started putting people in my life. And there was a one gentleman and, and he started really impacting my life. And we started talking and I started really having doubts about my salvation, doubts about my faith. And so in my late 30s, I'm driving to work. I'm driving a minivan because that's what you did in the 2000s. You drove minivans. I was driving to work in the minivan. And you know what? Doubting? Doubting stinks. I didn't want to doubt anymore. So I said, God, I'm, not, I'm done. I'm done doubting. 100%. I'm in. We're not playing games anymore. I am 100% fully submitted to you, God. And then God really started to work. So the same gentleman asked me to, uh, if I've ever been discipled, he invited me in to be discipled by him. And God continued to work in my life and work in Paula's life and work in our family's life. And God surrounded our family and we watched him start working in the lives of, of, of us and the lives of our, our kids. And he started to use us in his church. Several years later, 2007, they decided that I was going to become a deacon in the church. And as we went through the testimony that you just kind of heard, right, we came to that conclusion. You can't be baptized and then be saved. That's kind of backwards, right? So I got baptized when I was age 40. Now, why do I share that? I share that because I know that there's people out there that have been around a little while. And maybe, you know, you're like, I don't know. I'm about 40 years old trying to get up there and get in that tub. What do people say? What do people think? I'm going to tell you what people are going to say. I'm going to tell you what God thinks. You're going to be so excited. You're going to be so filled with the love of God and the love of the church surrounding you that it's amazing. Then we left there. God continued to work in our lives. God continued to transform us. God continued to use us. For his, for his purposes and his glories. And then we came to UBC in 2011. We are so excited to see what God has done over the last 11 years. We're excited to see what God's going to do in the future as we get ready to, to dig in the ground a little bit more. But this morning, we're going to slow down and we're going to step back because we want to see what God did in transforming the lives of the people in the early church. So this morning... We are in Acts 4, 32 to 37, and we're going to read through that. We're going to talk about that. But first, I got to do the recaps so you know exactly where we're at. So right, we've been in week, this is week 11, we've been talking through the book of Acts, and we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, and now... We have the Gospels, Jesus died, crucified, put on, right, buried, raised again. Then we dive into Acts 1, 
All of a sudden, so Jesus is resurrected. He's walking around. He's teaching his disciples. He's talking to his disciples. And he tells them, I want you to make me known throughout the whole world. But first, I want you to wait. I want you to hang out in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then Jesus ascends to heaven where he is today, preparing a place for us. We slide over to Acts 2, and the day of Pentecost comes. So now, right, we have all those people, all the pilgrims, right, the Jewish pilgrims coming in Jerusalem. And did the Holy Spirit show up? Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit showed up. There was no doubt. So Peter stands up. He declares the truth of who Jesus Christ is, and we see 3,000 people saved. Praise God. That was exciting. So now we slide over to Acts 3. Peter and John, they're heading into the temple and there's a, a crippled man off to the side and he's looking for something. He's needing something. Peter and John gave him what he needed. It wasn't what he wanted. And they healed him in the name of Jesus Christ. Large crowd all around. Peter goes, another opportunity to share the love of God, to share the truth of Jesus Christ. So Peter boldly stands up and he declares the truth. Now we get 5,000 people saved. That church is growing the, the chief priests, the Sadducees, they weren't happy about this. So they decide they're going to arrest them. And they're going to put them in jail overnight. Because they're going to do this trial maybe a little bit better than they did the last one that they did. So, which is good because it's a transition point for us. Because then we go into Acts 4. Acts 4 is the next morning. Peter and John stand before the, uh, the trial. They tell them, they talk. And what does Peter do? Here's another opportunity to share the truth of Jesus Christ. The same people that tried Jesus. Two months earlier, Peter's denying Christ. Now he's looking opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. And he's sharing the love of God with people. So now a little bit different scenario here, right? So what did the Pharisee, right? What did the, the Sadducees, excuse me, and the priests decide to do? They're going to say, all these people saw this. We can't deny this. They're giving God praise. We're going to tell them, don't do that anymore. And what did Peter and John do? They're like, yeah, okay, we're going to listen to you. We're going to listen to God. We're going to listen to God. So they leave there. And then last week, Pastor Jason talks about us. They, what did they do? They went back and they got together with the other people in the church and they prayed to God. They prayed for boldness, to boldly declare the truth, not take this away from me, to boldly declare the truth. So now we show up and we're at Acts 4, 32 to 37. And if your Bible's like mine, it's got this little heading over here. Mine says they had everything in common. That's nice. I'm not saying it's not wrong. What I'm saying is I want to see, that doesn't tell us everything that God's trying to reveal in these verses. So I'm going to give us a little different, uh, a little different heading. And so when we abide in the love of Christ... We are united in love for one another. When we abide in the love of Christ, we are united in love for one another. So I have a couple of stories. Now, I got to be honest with you. The first time I did this, it was like 38 minutes. I could share all those stories now because, again, it's third service, but then I'd get in trouble. So I'm going to share a couple of stories. And so I was doing my deacon role. And there was a young man, and he, was, he got himself into a little bit of a financial situation. Some things happened, some stuff was going on, and all of a sudden he had a debt. 
And so the deacons, we came alongside and we said, hey, let's talk. So I contacted this young man. We talked about it. We prayed. And uh, I said, well, as the deacons do, we don't just make quick decisions right then. I said, I'll talk with with another deacon and we'll uh, be in prayer and I'll let you know. So I met with another deacon. We were in prayer. I talked with our deacon chair, talked with Pastor Phil, and we decided that we would help this person out, pay part of that debt, because we felt that's what we needed to do. We felt called to do that. At the same time, I get this note from Phil. Hey, there's this couple in the church. They feel led by God to pay some of this debt. Now, here's the thing. This couple and this person didn't know each other. They still don't know. They didn't know each other. But they paid a generous part of that debt. In the same time, this person's friend, right? His friends come alongside. And the rest of his debt is paid. So within a month, that debt is gone. Why? Why did we come alongside? Why did that couple feel led to come alongside? Why did his friends come alongside? Because of the love of God right? Because of the love of God flowing through us, we're united together to show the love of Jesus Christ. Now, before we dive in a little bit more, I want to put some context into this. So we're talking about the early church here and we're talking about like 5,000 people. They've just come from all over the region. They have needs. They need a place to stay. They need food. They don't necessarily have a job. I mean, some of them probably went home, but right, so the church is growing, but there's people with needs. Now, the people here, they're from a diverse background, different social statuses, different occupations, different physical abilities, different wealth. We've just gone through Pentecost, right? So we've got lots of people going on. And one of the things that I think we can relate to here at UBC, you know, UBC, we have yeah, maybe about a thousand-ish people that come to UBC. And we have five services. Some of you don't know who I am. So we don't all know each other. There were 5,000 people. The church kind of grew in a, in a couple months they weren't, you know, the, the people in the temple didn't go, hey, we got this extra space. I don't think that was happening, right? They were meeting in church homes. They were meeting in homes growing together. So I want you, so please understand, right? They didn't know each other, but they sold, right? But they took care of each other. They helped each other in need. So this morning, we're going to look at how to love each other in two different ways. The first way is as Christians, we are united in loving care for others' physical and emotional needs. So now let's get ready. We're going to go into into Acts 4. We're going to start at verse 32. Then we're going to jump down to 34 to 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. In verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. 
Excuse me. So who did the church take care of here? The, ter- the church took care of other Christians that were in need. The church took care of the church. Now don't take this out of context because this is an example. And Jason talked about this several weeks, weeks ago. We have prescriptive passages and we have descriptive passages. Right? Prescriptive. We are to love one another. Descriptive. These are the events that happen. These are the examples that we have. And I'll try and point that out as we go through this. So we're still to care to people outside the church. But that's not the example we see here. They're taking care of the people inside the church. So the early church had the unifying power of the Holy Spirit. What we don't want to miss is the first part of verse 32. They were of one heart and one soul. They were united with God. So I love when God's word supports God's word. So we're going to do a little bit of what I like to do. And we're going to slide over to to John. So if you'll turn left with me to John chapter 17. We're going to start at verse 20. To set this stage here. So Jesus is just right. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He has just prayed for his disciples. And he's getting ready to pray for you and me. So Jesus states in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may all, excuse me, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, repent and submit to him, The Holy Spirit indwells us and we're united with God. We're united together because of Christ. Then we're united as children of God to come together as sinners saved by the same blood of Jesus through the same Holy Spirit by the same grace of the Father. We're united with Christ, and we're united together as his church. Now we're going to slide back a little bit more. We're only going back one more time. John 13, verse 34. Again, to set this stage here, this is at the Last Supper. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, just talked to Peter about betrayal, and now Jesus is talking to his disciples. In verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Pause and think about that. We're to love like Jesus Christ loved. He just washed the disciples' feet. That's servant. I also don't want you to miss whose feet he washed. He just washed Judas's feet, the man who was going to betray him. A new command, love one another. Love like Jesus loved. So how? How do we do this? How does this happen? How do we love like Christ? Well, one, we're united with Jesus Christ by his transforming power. He comes and he dwells in us. He changes us. We're united together as a church, right? Why? 
because of Jesus Christ. What is the purpose? Hasn't changed in 2,000 years to know God and to make God known. So the foundation is Jesus Christ. The early church had their eyes on Jesus. They were focused on Jesus, not on all these other things. So Jesus is the foundation. When when we're united with Christ, the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. And our purpose is transformed to that of Christ. Jesus loved the Father and he loved people. So they had the new purpose, right? The new purpose is to love God and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. So as Christians, we're not called to just do the right thing. The world just does the right thing. They get in a little emotional event. They go, we need to help these people out. Just do the right thing. And we, it's good to do the right thing because you're helping people. But that's not, that's not what we're called to. We're called to love people like Christ. You see, because Jesus had mercy. We're called to love people. Jesus had mercy on people. Mercy is about loving and caring for people regardless of how you feel. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Jesus loved us when we were in our sin. Mercy. Have mercy on people, even if they make mistakes. Thank God for his mercy on me. So how did the early church, what example do we have? How did the early church show this love for each other? The example we see here, right? The the early church, they took their possessions, they took their wealth, and they gave to those in need. They didn't hold on to their possessions tightly. They held on to the truth of Jesus Christ tightly. The things they had didn't belong to them. They belonged to God to be used for his purpose and his glory. When we hold on too tightly to our possessions, our love for our possessions grows and our love for Christ and others is pushed to the side. We have things. We have possessions, we have talents, we have gifts, and are to be used for God's glory. Now, my second story, I had to wait till yesterday. So yesterday, my growth group came alongside a young lady that was moving apartments. So now I have an F-150. It's not my F-150, it's God's F-150, used for his purposes. And God said, I want you to use your F-150 and help this young lady move. I got to do that. Now, here's the thing. There was me and then there was this older F-150. These Chevy people showed up (laughs) with their trucks. And guess what? They got to use their possessions for God's glory too. Chevy people, Ford people coming together. (laughs) Praise God, right? So we came together to use what God gave us to show love to this young lady. She was encouraged. We were there. Her deacon was there. A couple of, some other people from church were there, right, right? There was her parents, her family was there. Her neighbors got to see this. People from work got to see this. That's amazing. This is what we do. We encourage each other. We support each other. She got to feel and know the love of God. We have another example in the scripture here. So we're going to slide down to verse 36. And we're going to talk about Barnabas. 
In verse 36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I love God's word. I love what they did in the early church. I'm a little worried about today's church. Because they had cool names. Son of encouragement. Nobody says, Jeff, moderator. I mean, come on. Anyway, anyway, what a great name. Son of encouragement. I would love to be known as the son of encouragement. So now we have Barnabas, who we're going to hear more about as we go through the scriptures. Barnabas was an encourager. How did Barnabas... What we see here, how did he encourage people? One, let's talk about people that are in need. When you're in need, when you have needs, whether they're physical, whether they're emotional, right? What are you focused on? You're focused on that need. And you're not focused on God. It draws your attention away from God. We want you to turn your attention to God. We want to support you. We don't want those things to draw you away from God. So what, what Barnabas did is he took that, he took that money and he gave it to those people so that their needs were met, so that they were encouraged. And what they do? They gave the praise to God. They gave the glory to God for taking care of them, providing for what they needed. The other thing we see here is Barnabas is an example for others. If I see Barnabas and he does this and I'm like, wow, I'm encouraged. Look at Barnabas, he's filled with joy. I have a piece of land. I can sell that too. I don't have land, but I have other things that I can do to help these people out. Barnabas was an encourager. I want to be an encourager like Barnabas. The Bible also gives us other examples, right? The, the churches gathered, right? They gathered offerings for the Christians that were in Jerusalem. We see people serving in the church. James talks about taking care of the orphans and the widows. So now these are biblical examples. What role do we play and loving and caring for others. I mean, we have a role to play. But Jeff, I don't have great wealth. I don't have a bunch of land on an island that I can sell and bring the money and put it at Jason's feet and he can give to the needy. That's not what God called you to do. If you abide in the love of Jesus Christ and he has come inside you, the Holy Spirit, right, has come inside you and dwelt in you, you're given a spiritual gift. That gift is used to show the love of God. God's also given you talents. He's given you abilities. We're to use those to show God's love. So how do we do that? We support people. You can make a meal. You can show up and carry a bunch of boxes. You can fix somebody's car. One of the things that I love about this church is when I walk around before or after services and I see people praying with each other. What an encouragement. Getting to know each other to meet their needs. My encouragement to you is get to know each other. You sit next to the same people all the time. Get to know each other. It's about building those relationships inside the church. You want to build the relationship so you get to the point, right? Because what do we do? We go to church and go, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I want you to, we, we got to get you to the point. God wants you to get to the point where when you look somebody in the eyes, you go, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. And you go, no, 
No, you're not. Let's talk. Now, some people would call this a shameless plug. I'm not calling it shameless. I'm just telling you I'm plugging. I'm plugging our growth groups. Because maybe you're on the opposite side of this. Maybe you have needs. Maybe you need encouragement. This is what our growth groups do. I gave you one little example of something that happened yesterday. I could give you lots and lots and lots of examples of how our growth groups come alongside other people in their growth groups. How people in this church come alongside other people in this church to pour out God's love on them. To meet their needs. So if you have those needs and you're not plugged in, I'm going to encourage you to get plugged in. This is what we do. God loves you. We love you. We want you to be abiding in God's love and we want to share that love with you so that you're encouraged physically, emotionally, right? If your physical needs need to be met, your emotional needs need to be met, we need to be loved. We need to be encouraged. Stay plugged in. So the church was united in loving people to meet their physical and their emotional needs. Way that we can love number two. As Christians, we are united in loving care for others' spiritual needs. So we're going to go back into Acts verse four, or chapter 4, verse 33. <clears throat> and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, as I researched this, as Jason gave me these, I, write, I read through these verses, and I went, why is that verse there? I've got all these verses about meeting the needs of people, and right in the middle, there's a verse about sharing their testimony. I'm like, there's got to be. Why did God put that there? This is God's word. It's got to be there for a reason. So I want to go back to John chapter 13. And we're going to go right back to verse 34. <clears throat> Starting in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You, are, you also are to love one another. Verse 35 is our answer. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So because, right, verse 32, there was unity of heart, unity of soul. The church is just focused on God's mission to know him and make him known. They're united to make God known. Now, also in verse 30, right, in verse 33, it talked about God was pouring out his grace upon them. He poured out his blessing and his favor because of their obedient submission to love one another. The early church was committed to make God known mercifully. So because of the love that we have for each other, people will see that love and they know that we belong to Jesus. When people have their needs met, they give God the praise. They're not distracted by their needs. Instead, they're focused on God. The world sees this and they know that we have this love for each other. So we need to take care of the people inside the church as well as the people outside the church. It's not, they're not separate because if you only take care of the people outside the church, well, what about the people inside the church? If you take care of the people just inside the church, what about the people outside the church? Come together, take care of those that are in need. <clears throat> so why is our purpose to make God known mercifully so important? Because people have needs. They have physical needs, they have emotional needs, and they absolutely have spiritual needs. 
Now, these, these needs that we talk about in, in Acts, right? It's not a free handout. There's nothing here calling for a free handout to everybody. It's not about communal living, as some may try to interpret this. These people traveled from around the region to Jerusalem. They received Jesus, and now they had needs for food, clothing, and shelter. We in the current church need to come together to show the love of God as a God who provides. Sometimes we're called to be God's provision. God provides. He provides through you and me. Then who gets the glory? God gets the glory. People are focused on God. Meeting their needs helped them stay focused on Jesus and the love of God. Then the world sees this and they see our love for each other. And as Jesus stated, right? They will know you by your love. What a great testimony. Not just our words, not just us getting on the, you know, the computer and typing, but true examples of Christian love for each other. So this morning I have three takeaways for us. Takeaway number one. If you don't have the abiding love of Christ living in you, repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important. You're sitting there. You know that the abiding love of Christ isn't in you. You know that you have that need. You know that you have that need for the love of a savior. He's been calling you. Don't play church. Don't waste those years. I've been there. It's amazing what God can do. Find that abiding love of Christ living in you. Talk to somebody in the church. Talk to me. Talk to one of your, talk to your deacon. Talk to somebody on the staff. Reach out and know the abiding love of Christ. Takeaway number two. If you have the abiding love of Christ living in you, Love one another in the church. How's God calling you to love each other in the church? Preparing meals for others. Getting to know others in the church. Being part of a growth group. Being part, right? Being part of another group of believers that encourages each other, that loves each other, that shares life together. How's God calling you to love each other inside the church and to help meet each other's needs? Takeaway number three. If you have the abiding love of Christ living in you, make God known mercifully to those outside the church. How do we do that? You know, we always talk about those people we run into in life. Yesterday, I was on my way to go help that young lady move. And I was driving in my nice warm truck. And out there at Fairborn, they have that big soccer field. And there was a whole lot of kids playing soccer. Man, that must have not been fun. But what about all, right? The kids are running around. What are mom and dad doing? What an opportunity to build relationships. What an opportunity to share the love of God. Get to know the people. Get to know the people at Kroger. Get to know the people at the doctor's office. Get to know the people at the daycare. But Jeff, there's rules. I can't, you know, I can't do this at work. I can't. There is no rule that says at Kroger you can't pray with somebody. Nope, nobody raised their hand and said there was a rule. Right? You can pray with somebody at Kroger. Get to know people. Encourage them. Share life with them. 
So several months ago, I, uh, I hurt my shoulder. And I meet with a couple of guys, and we were in prayer. God, I don't really know why this happened. Um, but we said, you know, the prayer wasn't about just healing. It was about, God, use this situation for your glory. Provide opportunities. God's amazing. He really, by slowing down, he opened my eyes to share love, to encourage people at the doctor's office. I prayed, I got to pray with my doctor. I got to pray with my physical therapist. I got to pray with the receptionist. Is that about Jeff? This is not about me. This is about God. What joy it is for God to open those doors to, be, to, to, be, to show his encouragement, to show his love. There's no rule that says I can't do that. How is God calling you to be used? So how is God calling you this morning to show love to those inside and outside the church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord, you are such an amazing God. We thank you for your transforming power. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for indwelling us and abiding in us and filling us with your love. Lord, I pray for those that don't have your abiding love this morning, that you will speak to them, that you will call to them, that you will reveal to them the love that you have for them and their need for a savior. Lord, I pray for those that uh, are hurting inside the church, Lord, that they just need to get plugged in, that you'll open our eyes to them and that you'll speak to them that they'll step out and, and trust others inside the church to come alongside them. That you reveal to us your love around us and your work around us so that we can join in with you inside and outside the church to make you known mercifully. I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.